Brandy's. We're so glad to be here uh, this morning. We're so glad you're here. And he likes me to say that. So. I did it. And I just noticed my mother walked in. And, and uh, actually, today's not her official birthday, but I was working out of town when it hit. So I'm celebrating her birthday today. So I didn't know if you knew it, Mother, but I am going to take you out to eat after the service. All right. Let's everybody stand. We're going to do a song. This is uh, uh, by Sean McDonald. It's called Rides. Yes, I will rise out of his ashes, rise. From this trouble I found, this rubble on the ground, I will rise. And I will rise out of these ashes, rise. From this trouble I found, this rubble on the ground, I will rise.
Good morning. Welcome. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, it's good to be together with God's people to get to that today as we uh, share this time. And uh, happy St. Patty's Day to you. I'm looking around for those without green so I can pinch you today. <laughs> uh, we're, we're glad everybody's here today. We welcome our guests especially. Uh, you're very important to us. We're glad that you're here and hope you'll feel a part of our family as we worship God together. And I'd like to ask everyone to um, remind everybody about our attendance sheets that are on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take those and to fill them out so we could have a record of your attendance with us. Put your name and address, phone number. And especially if you'd like to receive our email newsletter, put your email address on there so we could... Uh, uh, put you on our list for that. It's a busy week. We have a lot of things going on, so let me just kind of tick off some of the things that we're, we're that's happening this week. Beginning tonight, uh, we will be playing volleyball here this evening, and so as always, that that means that uh, we could use your help after the worship service uh, removing the chairs so we can make room for our volleyball net. Uh, so if you could do that, we would certainly appreciate it. Uh, we are in the midst of our season of Lent. And um, our, we, we're having our Lenten lunches each week uh, at different churches. Uh, we had ours a couple of weeks ago here. Uh, this coming week, Wednesday, it will be at St. Paul's Episcopal Church at 12 o'clock, a brief service, about a half an hour, and then followed by a lunch together. And it's always a, a wonderful time, so we invite you to come and be a part of that. Uh, next Sunday is our Easter Fest. Uh, for our children, and uh, look, kids, are y'all looking forward to that? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think they are. They're just, I'm just caught them off guard there. Yeah, they're looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. That'll be a wonderful time next Sunday. So if you have some kids uh, uh, in your family or some kids that you know of, get, invite them to come to our Easter Fest next Sunday uh, after church. Also, uh, we are preparing for uh, to renew our church directory, to get a new church directory. And you may have seen uh, Juanita Osborne and Sandy Reisinger 
at this table right over there. Uh, they are setting appointments, making appointments for your photo to be taken. The photos will be taken on May the 1st and May the 2nd. And so uh, we want to have 100% participation, if at all possible. So please see uh, uh, Juanita and Sandy uh, after the worship service. They'll be, be here doing that for uh, several weeks in preparation for that. Also, you notice around us uh, some new decor, and you may be wondering what this is all about. This is, these are uh, panels from the AIDS Memorial Quilts, um, and they're beautiful, aren't they? And I want to tell you just a little bit about these panels. The AIDS Memorial Quilt Project was conceived back in 1985, and it was begun in 1987. And at that time, a lot of people who died of AIDS-related causes, they did not receive funerals due to uh, both the stigma of AIDS uh, that was felt by the surviving family members and the outright refusal of some funeral homes and cemeteries to, uh, to, to handle the, the remains of the, of the deceased. And so lacking a memorial service or a grave site, to go and remember people, this quilt was created as a way for survivors to remember and to celebrate the lives of people that they loved. Today, there are more than 44,000 individual 3x6 panels that are, were lovingly created by friends and family members to commemorate uh, the lives of a loved one and, and as a reminder of the ongoing need for remembrance and awareness and hope as the struggle against HIV and AIDS continues. Uh, we're blessed to, to have these here uh, thanks to the ministry of Matthew 25 here in town, uh, their AIDS ministry and HIV ministry. As many of you know, they will be um, uh, holding their annual fashion show, Runway Red, here on Saturday. And anyone who would like to volunteer to help with that uh, should see uh, Brittany Smith and, uh, and be a part of that, that great ministry as well. So that's what this is all about. And so I think we'll have these here at least through, through next week. And I'm not sure after that. So enjoy them. Take a look at them. And, um, and think about each one of these small parts of, this, of these quilts uh, represents a person. And we'll be in mind of, the, of that. Let's stand and greet each other in the name of the Lord.
know that after two days of the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified, and the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the highest priest, who was called Caiaphas. And they conspired to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the festival, or there may be a riot among the people. Evil always does its work in the darkness, behind closed doors, whispers in the corner of the room, conspiring to do away with that which is good, so that evil may maintain its grasp on its power and position. But what happened in Jerusalem backfired on the purveyors of darkness. For you see, when they laid their hands on Jesus, hung him on, a, on the cross, a light that was shown on their darkness, deeds were all to see. Evil does not like the light of day, it is much more comfortable in its hiding place. We extinguish the fifth candle today in repentance, recognizing that there are times when we seek to hide our sinfulness in the darkness behind closed doors, conspiring against God's, but it is futile, for the light has come to shine in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Today's scripture reading is Philippians chapter 3, verses 4b through 14. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the, de from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or, I, or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. 
I got it. That's why I'm having surgery on Thursday for my eyes. All right. Joe, what's wrong here? One, two, three, four, five, six little girls and you. You want to help me? Come up here. I need your help, please. Come on, Joe. I need your help. All right, you stand over here. Because you're the only boy. You get to help me. Now, oh, I just marked some of that off. You know what Dr. Kim's talking about today? What? He's talking about the difference of being religious and knowing God. You guys think there's a difference? There's the difference between God. So you hold this sign. This says, I am religious. Okay? You hold that one. All right. Who else wants to help? All right. Meg, you get up here. Then you get beside your brother and you hold, I know God. Now, I'm going to test you guys. You ready? Now, you think about anybody in the church family. I'm going to give you some hints here. All right. I bet everybody in here has one of these. What is this? Yeah, we have some at home. We keep it on the bookshelf. We never open them, but we've got them. Hmm. All right, think about that. If you have a Bible at home and it's on your bookshelf, does that mean you're religious or it's that you know God? If I don't ever open it, do I know God if I never read about Him? Nope. Raise it up, Joe. That just means I'm religious. Okay, so I've got a Bible on the shelf, right? But what if I open it and I learn all about God, how He created us and how He helps us get through this world? Am I religious or do I know God? Oh, good job, Meg. All right. And what about you guys? When we go back in the back and have children's church and we read our stories out of this book, what if we have this book back there but we never open it? Does that just mean we're religious? I don't know about God because I never opened the stupid book, right? All right. What if we open the book, and we do open this book a lot back there? Are we learning about God? We are. We want to know God. We want to know how he created us and everything, right? Okay. All right. And, Rachel, I heard Sunday school, you guys were talking about the Trinity. And what is the Trinity? You guys remember from your Sunday school? The four-leaf clover. That's, that's right. It is the four-leaf clover. But the Holy Trinity, remember we talked about this last week? Look here. Does this mean I'm religious or do I know God? If I say the Father, first is God the Father. Okay, now what's second in the Holy Trinity? We turned it last week and we talked about, uh, I can't get it, you guys. The Son. Who is the Son? Who's God's Son? Yes, Gracious? Beautiful. And then, what do we have left? And that's what's with us right now until Jesus comes again, right? Okay. All right. So if we learn about that, does that mean we know God? Are we learning about God? Yeah, raise it up, Meg. All right. Okay. You know, in children's church, we eat and we drink a lot. So I brought donuts. Also, Sarah's family. Do we know God? If we bring cookies and donuts? It means we're religious, but we really do work on knowing God, right? So you guys both get to... All right. All right. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? 
anybody can come in here and sit down and these great guys or listen to Dr. Tim. And they might be religious, but do they really know God? You guys, the reason why your parents and your grandparents and everybody brings you here is because we want you guys to know God. He will be with you no matter what happens in your life, no matter what kind of struggles you have. God will be with you, and we want to let you know God the whole time you're here with us. Does that make sense? All right. Now, who doesn't have green on? You guys can pass around the green stickers because we talked about St. Patrick's Day. I know you do, but everybody gets a sticker. Thank you guys so much for your...
pray with me. Lord, every day you give to us is a gift, and we thank you for these gifts. Today you've brought to us the rain. The rain will renew the earth. We pray that it also renews our spirit. Lord, as the plants grow this spring, please also grow us. Help us to minister to those that we need to minister to. And help everyone to learn and to grow more with you. Lord, we pray that you bless these tithes and offerings as they're given to you. Help us to use them to grow our faith in our community. In your name we pray. Amen. This next song we're going to share with you really speaks to my heart, and I think it speaks to everyone. We as even believers in the body of Christ wrestle with a lot of things. We wrestle so much that we often miss the destiny God has laid out before us. And uh, through circumstances that's happened in our life, that's kept us down from moving forward into those things. One of the key things I think that, uh, that Satan uses against us right now is guilt and shame and unworthiness that we feel for maybe something that we have done in the past that still haunts us. And it constantly the enemy uses it against us. And uh, we've never yet found the freedom in walking in what Christ has done for us and what he's going to do through us and who he says we are in him. In the book of Romans, it talks about how we are the righteousness of God. We are his direct reflection. But oftentimes, we never come into that, that truth because we're too consumed by our past and where we've messed up. I know as I'm getting older, uh, and maybe some of y'all can identify with this, but we look back on our lives and we think, boy, I really messed up there, or I could have done this better. Or, and we carry the guilt and the shame of that, uh, whether it's relationships, whatever. And uh, this song really speaks to that. And uh, it's about accepting the grace of God that he has for us and realize that through what he did on the cross for us, that we can walk in his life. We can lay those things at his feet and quit carrying them and quit giving ground back to the enemy to keep reminding us of our past and what we may have done or didn't do, to walk in the freedom of who we are now. And that's the title of this song. is called Redeemed. And truly we are redeemed by what he does for us every day and how much he loves us. And he never gives up on us. He keeps chasing after us. And it is a privilege to be a, a believer and to be in the body of Christ because I could be lost. So... My mindset now is more about the legacy that I'll leave my kids. And uh, what will they remember me by? Will it be that I'll be so caught up in the, my past that I never can move forward? I run around depressed all the time, or, and they see that in me. Or will they see that I'm trying to walk with Christ and I'm walking in his freedom? That's something I ask myself every day. But this song really speaks to that. So I hope you... Listen to the words. Redeemed.
I hope we can all say that, that we're not the people we used to be because we have been redeemed. Thank you guys for reminding us of that. In one of his uh, books, Bruce Wilkinson reminds us about the life of uh, Howard Hughes. He says that if there was one word that could, de- could describe Hughes' ambition, it would be the word more. He wanted more money. And so he invested his enormous inheritance and increased it to a billion dollars or more in just a few years' time. 
He wanted more fame, and so he went to Hollywood and became a filmmaker and a star. He wanted more sensual pleasure, and so he used his wealth to buy women and any form of sensual pleasure that he desired. He wanted to experience more excitement, and so he designed and built and piloted the fastest aircraft of, its, of his time. Hughes could dream of anything that money could buy and get it. He firmly believed that more would make him happy, but of course it didn't. In Wilkerson's words, Hughes confused the pleasure of having more for oneself for the greater joy of giving oneself to something bigger. His dream, says Wilkinson, was not significant enough to bring meaning to his life. And so in his old age, Howard Hughes became withdrawn. News, news reports portray him as, at the end of his life as being a drug-addicted, emaciated, unkempt hermit with decaying teeth and long, twisted fingernails. But he held on to his destructive dream that more possessions would bring him more fulfillment. In the end, his misguided quest for more simply made him one of the most pitiable men on earth. Now let me tell you about another man who was also in search of more. His name was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul, of course, became the Apostle Paul. But before his conversion, he was also in quest of more. But in his case, he was in quest of more religion. Listen to his words in our lesson for today. If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisees, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. What does that sound like to you? It seems to me that before his conversion, Saul was the epitome of religiosity. If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, he says. And then he goes on to list his super-religious qualities circumcised on the eighth day as a part of the most religious people on the earth. And of the Israelites, Paul was the most religious of the religious, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisees, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. So you see, Saul was a super-religious person, even to the point of persecuting Christians. Have you ever heard of that before? Super-religious people persecuting those who don't think as they think? Boy, I have. And Saul was one of those kinds of people. However, it's, it's pretty clear that even though he was immersed up to his eyeballs in his religious zeal, something important was missing from his life. He sounds a, a bit like John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church in his early years. 
After his studies at Oxford, Wesley, who was also a son of a, an Anglican pastor, became a pastor himself. And he was a, a rigorous student, careful in his orthodoxy. He lived a devout life with, filled with good works. And he and his friends visited the prisons. He would provide uh, slum children with food and clothing and education. They observed both Saturday and Sunday as the Sabbath. They gave alms. They studied diligently. They fasted regularly. At Oxford, they were known as the Holy Club. And then, as if that were not enough, John Wesley became a missionary to go and save the heathen in Georgia. At this point in his life, he was super religious and smugly self-righteous. But deep down in his heart, he knew that something was missing. And so at a place called Aldersgate, Wesley felt his heart strangely warmed and he began to trust not his diligent good works, but Christ alone for his salvation. As for Saul of Tarsus, he met Christ on the road to Damascus. And among the things that he learned from his experience there is that all of that super religiosity that had been so much a part of his life meant nothing. Later he would write in our lesson, I consider everything, all of these, this list of super religious traits, I consider them all loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Referring to his list of religious credentials, he said, I consider them rubbish which, by the way, is a G-rated version of what he really said. It's rubbish that I, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, having no righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Saul's experience here leads us to, do, to two very critical questions. First of all, what is the difference between being religious and, being, and knowing God? And secondly, how can we know God? So let's deal with each of these questions separately. First of all, what's the difference between being religious and knowing God? And we ask this only because of the experience of such devout believers as Paul, the Apostle Paul, and John Wesley, and many other people who have come to the point in their lives when they realize that, in the words of, of Isaiah, their religion and their righteousness were like filthy rags. And so we need to know, what's the difference between being religious and knowing God? When Dr. Jack McKinney was the pastor of First Baptist Church in Bethesda, Maryland, he preached a sermon on this passage of Scripture in which he drew a, a parallel between his own life and Paul's life. And so he paraphrased Paul's words here by saying this, If anyone thinks they have a birthright in the church, let him come and talk to me. And by the way, see if any of you can see yourself in these words. 
If anybody thinks they have a birthright in the church, let them come talk to me. I was born in the church. Cradle roll from day one. I wasn't a week old when I attended my first potluck. I memorized the Ten Commandments when I was six. I memorized the Beatitudes when I was seven. I memorized the Sermon on the Mount when I was, in t- when I was ten. I not only knew the rules at an early age, but I kept them. No drinking, no chewing, no dancing. I had a perfect Sunday school attendance for 17 straight years, and it would have been longer if, my, if the doctor hadn't insisted that the flu was not something that I should share with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I woke up one morning, and I realized that my strict adherence to the rules meant very little to me. I was always striving to be good to be the best, to be righteous, but I was constantly frustrated with my failures. Everything that I tried to do in my life to make God like me now seemed so worthless. I was striving to will myself into being a person worthy of God's love, and all the while God was trying to tell me that I was already loved. And then he says, I've now thrown away the rule book and stopped trying to count, to keep count of my wins and losses as a Christian. I'm trying to live in a free, loving relationship with the Lord who calls me to follow Him. Not just a set of rules. Wow. Dr. McKinney's discovery kind of hits the nail on the head, doesn't it? You see, when our, when our aim is to be religious, we have a tendency to focus on the rituals, the rules, the regulations, the how we do things, not upon the more pressing business of our relationship with our neighbor and our relationship with God. And don't get me wrong, r- rituals and rules and regulations can be very helpful in, in living out our faith, but but they can also become an idol in and of themselves. And they can also cause us even to despise our neighbor and to ignore the Spirit of God who is prompting us toward a deeper sense of God's presence. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In his book titled The Call, Oz Guinness uh, tells a story about Dr. Arthur Burns who at one time was the the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. And even though Dr. Burns was Jewish, he joined a Christian Bible study that met at the White House every week. And since he was Jewish, all all the other members of the study were afraid to ask him to to pray at the end of their their time together. But one day they they had a guest leader who, who didn't know about this unwritten rule, and so he asked Dr. Burns to pray. And to everyone's amazement, Arthur Burns stood up and he began to pray. Oh God, may the day come when all Muslims will know, will come to know Jesus. And when all Jews will come to know Jesus. And when all Christians will come to know Jesus. Wow. Did you catch that? 
he intimated that there are a lot of folks out there who call themselves Christians who don't really know Jesus. And he's right. Would it surprise you if I told you that there have been a lot of super religious people who have done a lot of super terrible things in our world? Just look back at history, folks. Think about the Inquisition in which the established church in its effort to combat perceived heresy tortured and killed and maimed and burned at the stake thousands upon thousands of innocent people. Think about the Salem witch trials in which 19 people were hanged and one was pressed to death and 150 were placed in prison mostly because of the lying gossip of some teenage girls. Think about 9-11 when some fundamentalist Muslim extremists decided to point out the economic and political sins of America by hijacking and and, and flying commercial jets into the twin towers of the of the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and possibly the White House at, or the or the uh, Capitol. The point is that a lot of evil, evil things have been done in the name of religion, ours and others. So how do you know if you know God? Well, here's the thing, folks. Just being religious is not enough. In fact, one of the best places that someone can hide from God is in religion, especially religious fanaticism. So how do you know? Well, here's the best answer that I can come up with. Are you trying your best to live like Jesus? Now, I know that the formula has been somewhat maligned, WWJD, what would Jesus do? But, but honestly, I, I can't think of another, a more reliable guide than that. What would Jesus do? I can think of no better guide for our lives than that. What would He do? What's the best guard that we have against doing something horrible in the name of Jesus? Focus on His character. Can you imagine Jesus condemning someone else because they look differently or talk differently or act differently or even believe differently from how you believe? Can you imagine Jesus as the grand inquisitor raking hot coals across the bare skin of someone suspected of some religious infraction or boring a hole through someone's tongue with a hot iron because of some misspoken word? Can you imagine Jesus drowning Muslims in the river during the Crusades because they begrudgingly by force proclaimed their faith in Christ and the Crusaders wanted to baptize them and send them, send them on their way to heaven before they had the opportunity to recant? My friends, the only times that I can think of that Jesus outwardly condemned anyone were his reactions to the money changers in the temple who were taking advantage of others in the name of God and his reaction to the super-religious Pharisees who professed that they loved God, but they looked down on those who were not so religious as themselves. And this brings us to our second question. 
How can you and I come to know God today? And the answer is really very simple. Say yes to God. Just say yes to God. That's it. There's nothing else you need to do. In fact, there's really nothing else that you can do. Just say yes. If you want to memorize your Bible, that's well and good, but it's not going to save you. If you want to get involved in acts of social justice, that's wonderful, but it's not going to save you. If you want to spend hours on your knees, terrific, but it's not going to save you. And if you want to make a gift of $100,000 to the church, praise the Lord. I thought I'd just throw that one in there just in case anybody was interested. The fact is that all of these things are time-honored ways of demonstrating our love for God. But they are not prerequisite to knowing God. You see... Knowing God is just a matter of saying yes. Faith is a gift. To know God is simply to say yes to God. God is already running down the driveway. God is already moving through the briars and the brambles of the wilderness. God is already banging on the door trying to get our attention. And so all we have to do is say yes. Pray. Lord Jesus, come into my life and make me like you. That's what Paul wanted. He wanted to be like Jesus. So how can you and I come to know God today? Just say yes and then try to live our lives as Jesus would live His. So do you know God or are you just religious? Is your faith about following rules and regulations or is it about relationships? Do you really want to know God better? Then simply say yes to God and invite the Spirit of Christ to take up residence in your life right now and fill you with God's love. And soon you will know that you know God because the grace of God will be evident in your life. Amen. We've come to that part of our service when we will observe the uh, ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And uh, we will have the bread and the cup here in front on either side. And we would like to ask uh, those who would like to come, beginning on the back row, to come down the center aisle and uh, take a piece of bread and then move to the side and dip the bread in the cup and go ahead and eat. And then you can return to your seats uh, from the side uh, along to the back, coming from the back to the front. Uh, there may be some who would rather receive the traditional form of, uh, of uh, communion, or you may not be able to, to, um, to get up and, and come down front uh, for whatever reason. We will also have people, some of our deacons in the back, 
who will be making their way forward and will serve you at, at your seat if you would like to do it that way. Uh, so I'll ask our deacons to come ahead and, and begin uh, preparing uh, for communion. And as they're doing that, I'd like to ask Timmy Hall to come here. He, uh, he approached me today and said that there was something that he wrote that he would like to share with um, our congregation. And I thought it would be a good reflection on on our communion together. And so, Timmy, come and, and share with us. Um, we pray for God to give us a purpose and ask why would such a perfect maker who loves us so much that he sacrificed his son to set us free, why would he create a world like this? He says, I created the world the way it is so that your purpose would be to help those who are lost be found. Because only after you have learned to find your purpose in saving others will you, you be able to see the world through my eyes. Thank you, Timmy. As we commune with God, I hope we will reflect on this. About what our purpose in life is. It's not just to be religious. It's to focus on God and to share that with others. And so I pray that as we go through the observance of the Lord's Supper today, that this would be more than just a, a ritual. We do this fairly frequently here in this church. And it, it could become a ritual, but it need not be that. We need to focus as we take the bread as we allow that bread to absorb the cup. And as we take it upon ourselves, let us remember why we do this. It is because Christ gave His life for each of us. And that's why we worship that's why we focus on God. And that's why we try to move beyond the ritual to what lies behind it. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when He was betrayed, took a loaf of bread and He broke it and said, This is My body which is given for you. And after... Supper, he took the cup also and said, This is a blood of a new covenant. He's doing something new for us. And we remember the body and the blood of Christ as we share it today. Would you come and share and worship through this ordinance of communion? Would you come?
Let us sing together. When I survey the wondrous cross. And as we do this, I hope that we'll have a mental picture in our heads of the cross of Jesus Christ. All throughout this season of Lent, we have been journeying towards the cross. We have been extinguishing candles each week because as we got closer and closer, the darkness seems to descend upon us. And it does, because what Christ did on that cross is something something terrible, terrible. But he did it for us. It's not an accident that the earth was covered with darkness on that day. It was a dark time. And so we need to remember that. But we remember that also with the anticipation that in just a couple of weeks we celebrate Easter. The darkness does not overcome because Christ is the light of the world. So let us sing together number 144, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
Right. 